Have you ever heard about the four seasons of the soul and how they cycle through your life? And you could be in different seasons in different parts of your life? Or that the ego is simply your bodyguard and not the CEO of your life? We're going to talk about these things, plus how stress management is really a spiritual practice in this thought-provoking episode, so stay tuned. This is Ronnie Ann Ryan, intuitive coach, and welcome to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. In this show, we'll talk about mystical methods, spiritual practices, and magic to grow spiritually, live well, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, connect with spirit, and embrace the magic that is all around you. May good fortune come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. In this episode of the Breathe, Love & Magic podcast, I'm speaking with Brian Luke Seward, recognized nationally and internationally as one of the foremost experts in the field of resiliency, stress management, and corporate health promotion. In addition, he's regarded as an esteemed, inspirational, motivational speaker. The wisdom of Brian Luke Seward can be found quoted in PBS specials, the Chicago Tribune, the Huffington Post, medical seminars, boardroom meetings, and keynotes across the world. He has authored more than 18 books, including the popular bestsellers, Dim Like Mountain, Flow Like Water, The Art of Calm, and Stressed is Desserts Spelled Backwards. For 25 years, he served on the faculty of the University of Colorado Consortium for Public Health. Currently, Dr. Seward is the executive director of the Paramount Wellness Institute in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome, Luke. (laughs) Thanks. Great to be here. I'm so glad to have you. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about today because I know you do a lot of work with energy and frequency and you have some new meditation series and stuff. So I'm very excited to talk about that. But first, let's just talk about your background in the field of stress management and human spirituality. And how did you ever get started? I'm a health psychologist, and after I graduated at the University of Maryland with my PhD doing all kinds of work in stress management, I was asked to be the, the sports psychologist for the Olympic Biathlon Association for the 1988 Calgary Olympic Games. That was great fun. And after that, I went uh, when the money ended, the Olympics ended, I went back into academia where I began to teach stress management, which is really about how to um, enhance human performance. I find confusing. So human performance and stress management, I wouldn't think they were the same. In fact, to me, human performance could create a lot of stress. Well, um, the way it goes is something like this. When people get nervous and you think about Olympic competition, their performance decreases. And at that level, basically everyone has the same physical abilities, same physical prowess. What really separates the gold medal winners from the, the people who don't medal is what's in your head, their mental attitude. Really? Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. So, so much of that particular competition involves mental training. And stress management is mental training, really. That's a, the code name for it in the athletic world. Mental training. So you'll feel less stress if you focus on what you want and feel more confident and see yourself achieving your goal and 
Gosh, it deals with all kinds of things. Everything from reducing your heart rate so that you don't basically spaz out the competition, trying to do uh, confidence building, mental imagery, mental rehearsal, team building, team dynamics. There's so many different ways in which you can apply sports psychology into performance. And of course, that's at the Olympic level. You can also do it with things like with college students in terms of test anxiety. You can do it in all kinds of places. I mean, just being patient in traffic, you know, driving home from work. (laughs) <laughs> these these yeah. skills are across the board for everybody. Very good point. There's a lot of road rage, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it has application to everything in life. A lot of people think of spirituality in different ways. It has a lot of different definitions. How do you define human spirituality? Well, that's a great question. Let me tell you a little story first. Back in 1981, I had a chance to hear this incredible luminary. Her name was Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she's famous for her work on death and dying. But at this conference, she didn't speak about that. She spoke about this concept called holistic wellness, which is the integration, balanced harmony of mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And I was so impressed with her, her presentation and stuff. Of course, I got a chance to meet her afterwards. And she goes, she didn't say, you know, what's your name? What do you do for a living? I think I was about 24 at the time. She said, what, what's your passion in life? And I said, everything you're talking about. And she said, I need your help. And I said, yeah, well, sure. She said, would you help me and people like me reintroduce the ideas of human spirituality back into healthcare, back into health education? And when I said yes, I felt like, like I was knighted by the queen. You know, I had to put this in a context that was palatable, not, not uh, off-putting to people because a lot of people confuse spirituality and religion. You know, they're not the same thing. So what I did was I saw a direct link to stress and spirituality because the wisdom keepers, the shamans, the sages all around the world throughout the ages say that there's three things that are, are central to human spirituality, relationships, values, and a meaningful purpose in life. Now, let's let's be honest. Spirituality is a lot more than that, but that's a good foundation to start with. And those things are common for everybody. I mean, there's, there's nothing that's going to be offensive to anybody about those three aspects. And if you take a look at people's stress levels, every stressor falls into one of three categories, relationships, values, or value conflicts, and a meaningful purpose in life or lack thereof. That was my way in which to usher in the concepts of human spirituality into stress management and into academia for that matter as well. Well, that's really interesting. That certainly would add a human touch to things. And gee, wouldn't it be nice if the medical profession got on board with that too? I know you've spoken at medical conferences, but does it ever sink in there, Ed? You know, I think a lot of these physicians who are open to this live two lives. They they live the the Western medical model life at work, and they those who are open to this do this outside of work. At some point, they converge. There's an intersection. You know, I was asked to speak on the topic of stress and spirituality at the Mayo Clinic, so there definitely is more of a receptivity now than there was back when I started, like you know, back in the early '80s. But I think that when you see something like a spontaneous remission in in someone's tumor just disappears, you know, you have to ask yourself, what's going on here? Or when people begin to have heart attacks because they go into retirement, you have to ask yourself, is there a connection between a lack of purpose in life and your health? So it's there, it's in our faces, but there's blinders on for a lot of people in the medical profession who choose to just look at drugs and surgery as the be all end all of the medical model. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why they're the functional medicine doctors are so up and coming. And a lot of people are turning to them as well as naturopaths and homeopaths and that kind of thing, which I think is really good news for our health. It takes a village. (laughs) That's what they say. 
You often refer to the concept of seasons of the soul in several of your books. So tell me about this. You know, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, I, when I was doing this textbook, I have a chapter there about stress and spirituality. And I was reading all of these books, going to workshops, talking to all kinds of spiritual luminaries. And I, at some point I thought to myself, oh my God, I get it. They're all saying the same thing at some level, that there's basically four specific, what I call scenes of a soul. And, you know, whether it's M. Scott Peck or Matthew Fox or Joan Borisenko, they all have different names for it, but I kind of put it into a common denominator language. When I talk about these seasons would include things like beginning one is uh, I start off with is, is the centering process. And to center means to enter the heart. And this is like the idea of fall or autumn when you go inside and because it gets dark outside, get to know yourself, do some soul searching. Then comes the season of wintertime, which is called the emptying process. And it's like once you go inside, you got a clean house, get rid of thoughts, attitudes, perceptions, beliefs that no longer serve you. And we begin with our lives adopting these things, but at some point they don't work for us anymore, but we still hang on to them and they, they get in the way, they clutter, they become baggage. So the empty process says, let go because nature abhors a vacuum. And when you let go, something will, will take its place, but you got to let go. The third season is called the grounding process. And this is when you, like springtime, you get some new visions, you know, the vision quest, you get some in, uh, insight, some enlightenment to help you along the way. It's when you get to the top of the mountain and say, oh, I see where I'm going now. The spiritual journey doesn't end at the top of a mountain. You got to come back down. And that leads us to the fourth season, which is like summertime, and it's called a connecting process. And that's what Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey, the return home and share what we learned with other people to help raise consciousness, to help uh, other people who are in a similar situation, trying to make sense of their lives. We come back with more wisdom and we share the wisdom. The centering process, the emptying, the grounding, and the connecting are like autumn, winter, spring, and summer. Those are the seasons. And once you get done one season, you go into the next. And when you get done with summer, you head back into fall again. It's, It's wonderfully complex. And what makes it more complex is that you could be in one season and your spouse could be in a different season with the same thing going on. Or you could have, you know, it's like Planet Earth's got more than one season at a, at a time. You could have be in the emptying process with your career and the connecting process with your family life. It makes things kind of challenging. But I think if we can see that, that there is a progress, there's a motion through these because it's very easy to get stuck in the emptying process. We see people, what we call it the dark night of the soul. People get stuck there. You know, I love the quote from Shakespeare who calls it the winter of discontent. And a lot of people don't know that they have permission to move on. They don't know that. They get stuck and they end up being depressed, have all kinds of problems. So what I tell people is that this is a process of moving through. You can take as slow as you want, but don't get stuck there. First of all, it sounds a little like a Rubik's Cube to me (laughs) because you could be in different processes or seasons in different areas of your life. So now you have a matrix going. You no longer have four things, right? So there's a lot of different things that click into place and they can be in different spots. Right. And then what I want to ask is you're talking about people letting go. This is one of my favorite topics because I need to learn about this. What kind of advice do you have about letting go I had a shaman on once, a woman who was studying shamanism and had been through a lot already. And she was talking about letting go. And I said, just bottle some of that and send it to me, please. What can you tell us about letting go? I'd love to learn. Well, first, there's lots of words to describe this. You know, we talk about emptying, we talk about releasing, we talk about detaching. Yeah. Um, there's a whole score of, of psychological terms to describe this. What we really need to do is what I call is domesticate the ego. The reason why it's hard to let go is because the ego says, don't do it. You might need that for down the road. Hang hang on to that. 
And I love the expression about meditation. The description says it's to domesticate the ego. I love that expression. You know, we all need an ego. It's trips the fight or flight response. However, it's supposed to be the bodyguard. It's not supposed to be the CEO. So in meditation, which is a great way to center, we basically quiet the voice of the ego to say, time out. We need to get some clarity here. And when we do have that clarity, then we can begin to realize that there are some things which no longer serve us. I'll give you one example, categorical, because we see so much of it. Feeling victimized about how our life has been. It's a great recognition, but it doesn't serve us to hang on to that. We need to let it go. Feelings of anger, frustration, resentment, those things to acknowledge as they're occurring, but they're not healthy to hang on to for days, weeks, months, years, decades, as some people do. Of course, of course. So my point is, yeah, of course you have to let it go, but that's not what I asked you. I want to know how to let it go. So for me, like consciously, I know I don't need this stuff and I don't want it anymore. But my subconscious mind is not cooperative. And that's why I say I'm I'm not really that good at letting go. I would love to move on and do the next things. You were saying that sometimes people get stuck there, but I feel like sometimes people get stuck there because they don't see a way to move on. They don't see the possibilities. They don't see how to let go. So this is just my point of view. I think you're very right there. Yeah. And also some people... People define this as uncomfortable as it is. The fear of the unknown of where to go to once you're empty is even more more scary. But you know, I'm a real big fan of all kinds of coping techniques for stress and relaxation techniques. Meditation is a great way. Uh, journaling is a great way. Having support groups of people who are going through a similar situation and to realize that we're not alone, to share our thoughts or feelings and then think, okay, yeah, you're in the same boat I'm and neither one of us want to be here. So Let's see what we can do to try and help each other out, be support each other here. There are lots of ways, and it is not easy. I mean, you bring up a great point. But first, we have to recognize that we're hanging on. <laughs> That's the most yeah. important thing. Of That's course. Absolutely. Acknowledging that. That's where I'm at right now. I'm, I mean, I've let go of plenty of things in my life, but I can't tell you what the one, two, three steps are to do it. Because if I could, I'd be doing it right now for some other things that are really on my mind and annoying me. I would love to let go. So anyway, I'll have to practice. We'll move on. Now, here's another thing. You coined some interesting phrases, and this one is the muscles of the soul. So are we going to pump them up or what's going on with that? Yes, actually, that's a nice dovetail to your last question. You know, I seem to have a sign on my forehead wherever I go, whether it's the post office, the grocery store, on airplane rides. Um, it says, tell me your life story. And the worse it is, the more I want to hear it. And so I hear a lots of life stories. And they all seem to fall into two categories, victim and victor. The victim story pretty much all sounds the same. And I gravitate toward those. But I'm really curious about the victor stories. You know, how do people get through a hellacious experience and come out glowing? So I ask them, I mean, I pump them all full of questions and stuff. And, and what they typically say is, it was my sense of humor. It was my sense of patience. It was my sense of forgiveness. It was my sense of optimism. And I think to myself, okay, these aren't gifts for a chosen few. These are birthrights for everybody. And I use the term muscles of a soul because back in my early college days, I, I got a degree in physiology of exercise and muscles are something which people can relate to. And I thought these are also muscles, maybe not quite so obvious, but these muscles um, like patience, like forgiveness, like gratitude like um, optimism, like a sense of humor, they will always be there, but they will atrophy if we don't use them. And so these are things to help us navigate the, the tough times. I mean, they're called coping techniques. You know, Carl Jung had a name for them. Abraham Maslow had a name for them. He called them inner resources. They go by lots of different names. So I just used a term that I thought was pretty appropriate for people who can relate to muscles. Yeah, they're muscles of a soul and they help us get through the tough times. They help us break down the roadblocks of stress. They help us uh, circumnavigate or transcend them. I'm a real big fan of using these in the times that we're in right now. And boy, are we in some crazy times. 
So tell me, Luke, give me a hint about some of the time-tested techniques to promote relaxation, you know, besides chocolate, TV, <laughs> and sleep, and exercise, meditation. Those are the ones I know. What are some other ones? Well, um, I tend to put what I call as holistic stress management into, into two categories. There's coping techniques and there's relaxation techniques. And they, you know, we can't separate mind from body, so they both work together. Some seem a little more obvious for the mind. Some seem a little more obvious for the body. But I'm just going to toss a couple out there and, and we'll kind of figure out where they go. I'm a real big fan of meditation. I mean, we talked about that, but I think everyone should meditate. We are being bombarded on a regular basis with sensory overload. It's almost comical, if you will, because this is not how our grandparents ever lived. But we need to actually unplug from the world, quite literally unplug from the world, and just catch our breath, get some mental clarity every day, even if it's only for five minutes a day. So I'm a real big fan of that. I, uh, I'm a real big fan of music therapy. I love music. You know, I got to tell you something funny. It's a dated study, but I think it still speaks volumes. The Mitchum deodorant people did a study to see what makes people stress because when they get stressed, they sweat, they need deodorant. Yeah. They asked a lot of questions. And one of them was, you know, what's your favorite way to relax? And 80% said listening to music. That number probably is even higher now. But music therapy, that we now call it sound therapy, is a great way to basically just sit and veg or lie down and veg. And, you know, now we talk about playlists, you know. Bottom line is that music soothes the savage beast. I recommend everyone, you know, put together a new playlist of relaxing music to, to calm your senses down, calm down your nervous system because it's so important. Yeah. Also, another coping technique I love is um, humor therapy. I had a college roommate who I swear to God was like Johnny Carson. He just made me laugh all the time. And once I got out of college, I realized, God, I got to take responsibility for my own laugh track now because I don't have this guy around anymore. You know, we're still friends. I still call him out for a good laugh, but I took more responsibility in bringing humor into my life. And you know, at some point, I think we all realize this could be funny right now. It's not, well, I'd say why wait a whole year to get the laugh? Turn around and, and get a laugh right now. So humor is important. And I tell people, try and find one humorous thing a day. And if you do that, you're going to find lots of things coming your way. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to take this moment to talk about one of my favorite humorous things right now, which is for anyone listening, I encourage you to go to YouTube and look for Denise from 777 Heaven. And this woman, <laughs> she's a young woman. She was Miss New York State from, I think, like one of the America pageants. And she's got her hair rolled up in a towel, a big white towel and a big fluffy white bathrobe. And then she's got a pink razor, like a big shaver kind of a thing coming out from under the towel, like it's her headset with the razor part on her kind of on her cheek. And she is the receptionist in heaven. It is the funniest thing. She has a whole bunch of these little videos on YouTube. And it's my new favorite thing. One of my favorite ones. She sounds like she's from Queens. She goes, yeah, yeah, go down the hall. Yeah, they got margaritas in there. Because all oh, Betty White's been in there all day long. You know, she sees Napoleon and she goes, how did he get in here? It's just so funny. So yeah, humor, I'm on it. I'm definitely on it. That's a good one. I love that. I don't I don't think there can be enough people to go listen to Denise from 777 having it's awesome. Just a little aside. I don't know her, by the way. I just love her. So now you have created a new audio project, right? Called Nature Escape. And it's available on Audible and iTunes and stuff. But what is that all about? And is that going to help me relax and let go? Or what's going on there? Well, I like to think so. In the news the past couple of months, it's been this big popular trend to listen to white noise. And white noise is some kind of audible sounds that basically calm down your nervous system. I was thinking to myself, 
and I've got a lot of great recordings. I do a lot of photography. I make a lot of nature videos. And I, one of my favorite ones is I recorded these frogs when I was on a safari in Africa at nighttime and they sound like wind chimes. I'm like, oh my God, I got to actually do this. So the bottom line is that I came back um, after that and put together the help of this incredible musician named Greg Panya. He's composed music for the likes of Alicia Keys, Beyonce, Amy Winehouse, um, all kinds of famous people. He's got Grammy Awards and stuff. And so I luck was lucky enough to actually collaborate with him to put a bit of music under these nature sounds. So we have five. We have uh, African frogs, which sound like wind chimes, crickets from Colorado. That's where I live. We have a wave or surf from Hanalei, Hawaii. We have uh, waterfalls from Ireland. And I think we have um, a rainstorm from Costa Rica. Oh my gosh, and I can't wait to hear this. I love the rainstorm too, because it's it's gentle rain on top of uh, palm fronds, or whatever, with a nice bed of music underneath. And it's really a way to just enter into nature. I was going to tell you one more thing that I find so relaxing, and that is to take walks in nature. I live near, out here in Colorado, near a nature preserve. And every morning I'm out there right around sunrise. And it's just great to see everything from the deer to the, the eagles to you name it. I live on a migration path, so I see all kinds of stuff. But, oh, Wow. The sounds are, of nature are very, very healing. There's all kinds of research to back this up, Brownie. We've had all kinds of studies to show that when you listen to the sounds of nature, you relax more. It, it calms down what they call vagal tone of your nervous system. Well, I would think that listening to those sounds is primal. And it reminds us that we are a part of everything, which we forget all the time. We're running around trying to rule the world instead of being part of it. You know, and That makes so much sense to me. Now, what's the story on this Hertz frequency? There's 432. I've seen 528. I listen to a ton of YouTube instrumental kind of woo-woo music. And one is 528 Hertz. So I don't know the difference between the Hertzes, but it's got enough beat to it that I can get stuff done and it gives me energy, but it's calming at the same time. I cannot work without music. I just want to go to sleep. I need music. I've been like this all my life. I always watch TV when I did my homework. It's just who I am. And so when I need to write and super focus, I want to listen to Dua Lipa and have the beat going and sing the songs, but I don't even hear it. It's really funny, but it keeps me going. But then sometimes, like I just got out of a meeting that had me totally wired out. And then I need to go back and listen to one of these nice, mellow yoga kind of music things. But now they all have these Hertz things. So what's the Hertz frequency about? Well, you're right. There's different uh, frequencies or vibrations per second. That's what Hertz is, is vibrations per second. And in this case here, the number of Hertz can have, the vibrations have different effects on our nervous system and even our immune system, different parts of our, our physiology. So they now know through research that 432 is very, very important for calming and enhancing vagal tone. And there's some vibrations and frequencies which can help you feel more inspired and, and energized and things. And so Greg Papania, the guy who did the music behind this, he set the frequencies of naturescapes, these five different uh, nature sounds, to be at a very calming frequency to help people sleep better or to meditate or just veg out, you know, so they can calm down and not feel like they're all stressed out about with all the news we have in the world today. It's like, it's important to calm down some. So two questions about that. One is you, you've mentioned a couple of times vagal something. So explain what you're talking about there. Yeah. So in terms of our nervous system, we have uh, two tracks. We have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Sympathetic is epinephrine, norepinephrine, get you all jazzed up and, and uh, stressed out if you get too much of it. So those are the chemicals in the brain? In the brain, but also we have some in our adrenal glands too. Okay. Okay. Uh, the 
parasympathetic nervous system and that the R and para, I think relax, is what allows you to come back to homeostasis. The vagus nerve basically runs from, I think it's like the top of the brainstem all the way down to your uh, root chakra area. It's the longest nerve in the body. And it's and central. It's a so- central thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. It goes right down the, the central core of the nervous core. But the vagal tone is when you've got a real good distribution of calmness throughout the whole body as a result of the parasympathetic nervous system doing its job. And so vibrations that we can pick up, you know, like a jackhammer is going to set off your sympathetic nervous system so that you get jazzed up and or stressed out. But music can be very, very calming. And the sounds of nature can be very, very calming. So that's what we try and access so that we can get back in rhythm with the, the natural sounds of the planet. And you're right. That's a, who we are. That's a part of who we are. We have become so disconnected with, with our lifestyles now, with technology. You know, there's a wonderful book you may have heard called The Nature Principle. And this guy named Richard Louvre came out with this idea called Nature Deficit Disorder. And the saddest lines I've read in this book was this kid who said, why would I want to go outside? There's no outlets out there. <laughs> That is horrible and funny. Yeah, that's amazing. You have something that comes with those audio recordings, right? I do. You know, I was trying to come up with a a nice little gift to go along with this. And I came up with about 45, 46 different, what I call immediate self-care stress relief tools, like for a toolbox. You know, there are various things you can do, whether it's a a breathing exercise or whether it's a suggestion or a tip about trying to find one humorous thing a day or support groups. There is so much stress in the world right now, Ronnie. It is ridiculous. And what they typically say is that some stress is good. And that's true. We are so far beyond that point. It's it's ridiculous. So we need to take responsibility for our own health and well-being by taking the ability to use some of these tips and tools to calm ourselves down so that ultimately we can uh, have better health. One thing I've noticed in teaching stress management for close to 40 years now is that too much stress is going to have an impact on your immune system. And there's three things we know that can definitely impact the immune system in a bad way. Lack of sleep, poor nutrition, and stress. And that's not like everybody I know. So I put this this PDF together of ways to relax and calm down or cope with stress. Some real quick ideas that you probably are familiar with all of them. It's a good reminder of what we need to practice on a regular basis. Okay. That sounds amazing. Are there any last thoughts you want to share with our listeners about stress and everything we've talked about today? Yeah, just a couple of things. So we're going through some some challenging times right now, and there's more challenges coming ahead, whether it's climate change or the economy or the instability we have in the world right now. I think it's very important for everyone to take some time to do some self-care. And that's what stress management is really all about, taking some time for yourself. It's not conceited. It's not arrogant. It's not egotistical to take some time to cultivate your own inner resources, your own personal energy, because if you don't, then you're going to have ultimately have some health problems. Problems. And when I would t- teach stress management 40 years ago, I would talk about various connections between stress and disease. And my students would say, oh yeah, my grandma's got that. Today I'm hearing kids 18, 19 saying, I've got that. And I'm thinking you are way too young to have this health related problem, but yeah. we're seeing across the board. There's a huge mental health care crisis in the country right now. And I'm not going to say that all of these things are going to solve it, but it's a step in the right direction. Well, you were saying that self-care isn't selfish because it's actually essential and we've lost that ability or that interest in it, perhaps because people are so stuck on their phones, overstimulated and everything where it used to be people would have downtime. People would kids would go outside and play and my husband always says my parents told me don't come home until it's dark out you know it's such a different world we live in 
And in order to really get back in touch with who you are and how we're part of everything, you need to shut all that stuff off once in a while and just reacquaint yourself with who you are. It's actually not that complicated. It can be really simple. It's certainly way less complicated than any of the video games I've seen. Great that you're the voice of encouragement for people to find ways to do that because while you think of it as stress management and you did mention spirituality, to me, this is a big part of spirituality to come home to yourself, to value who you are, to take care of yourself. This is- I have one thing to leave everyone with is this. We want to move from- a motivation of fear toward a motivation of love. That's the spiritual message of stress management holistically. So all of these things we talk about in terms of self-care really is self-love. And when we feel that for ourselves, we can share it with others and make the world a better place. That is a beautiful wrap up. Thank you so much. Really interesting. You've talked about so many things that are vital to our times. I don't watch the news because I can't handle that extra stress. I got enough stress in my life without any news at all. I really want to thank you, Luke, for being with us today and sharing that. And we'll have links to your books and to your Nature Escape audio recordings. And personally, I can't wait to get a set myself. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Ronnie. It's a real pleasure being here. Thank you. I've got a gift for you that could change your life if you have a big decision hanging over your head. Are you struggling with your choices and sick of it? I've been in your shoes feeling miserable not knowing the right way to go. That's why I asked the universe for a sign. What a relief! I got an answer in a couple of hours. Discover the super simple method in a 30-minute program I created so you can learn how to use this no-fail process that works every time. Visit intuitiveedge.biz slash sign to get free access and make that decision quickly and easily. It's my gift to you. Thank you for listening today. If you're curious about intuitive coaching or a past life reading, please visit breatheloveandmagic.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it or write a review and subscribe to never miss an episode and share the magic with a friend. This is Ronnie and Ryan wishing you love and magic. Thank you.